Welcome to the Westminster Chapel podcast. For more information and to support our mission to London and beyond, please visit westminsterchapel.org.uk. Hello, my name is Howard. It is my privilege to lead Westminster Chapel. My question for you today is, what are you like when life doesn't go the way that you want? Do you get angry, sulky, grumpy? Yeah, all of the above, or certainly me too. Hey, that's not good. But what if God, in those painful moments, is actually seeking to work most powerfully to bring about life transformation in you, if only you would dignify the trial? That's the context to Daniel chapter 6, this brilliant 6th century BC book we've been studying and the theme has been courage for every crisis. Look what's happened to Daniel. He's been taken out of his homeland, 700 plus mile march, they've taken away his name, they've chopped off his testicles, it's horrific, and now thrown into a lion's den? Are you serious? How would you react to that? For me, I would be like... Life is unfair. God, what are you doing? Look at what I've been through. And now, seriously, a lion's den? That's me. What about you? Here's how Daniel reacts. Verse 10. He gets down on his knees and prays. It says, as he had done before. He just goes about doing this, just in the same old Thing. Notice there's just nothing particularly flashy about this response. This is just bog standard, good old faithfulness. Somebody, um, a great commentator, a writer, once said that the Christian life is just a long obedience in the same direction. That brings me to a confession. But most of my life, I have wanted to be flashy rather than faithful. I have wanted to live a life of great significance and our secular, celebrity-obsessed culture that we live in would say, to do that, you must be seen. You must live up to this imagined, idealised, kind of supersized version of your ultimate self that it's, it's told me, it's shaped for me, otherwise I'm toast, right? Our culture doesn't value faithfulness. Just putting one foot in front of the other and just keeping going. It would say things like, you know, go change your career every few years. Hey, have 17 different careers in your lifetime. Have your cake and eat it. But I want to tell you, that is ultimately so dissatisfying and unfruitful. And hey, you're going to get fat on all that cake anyway. See, some people, they misread the Bible. And I see these moments of great stories that you get in the first six chapters of, say, a book like Daniel. And they think that's what the Christian life is meant to be like always, 24-7. These back-to-back lion's den deliverances. It's a little bit like when you get these um, amazing speakers that come. Often come to our churches and they tell you their best stories, their best salvation stories, their best healing stories, Right? And we're I'm like, wow, this is amazing. And they make it look as if that's how they live all the time. 
And you come away thinking like, that's amazing, I want to live like that, but my life just doesn't match up in any way, shape or form. But what they don't show you is that that's not how they're living all the time. There is a foundation of bog-standard faithfulness and failure and all the times it didn't go wrong that has enabled them to have those extraordinary stories. Now, I'm not blaming them because I'm often guilty of that myself. I'm trying to make a point that here we have first six chapters. There are five extraordinary moments that are being described that Daniel himself is directly involved with. They don't come over five minutes, five days, five weeks, five months, even five years. They come over a period of about 70 years. Wow. Actually, by this point, Daniel, we think, is probably an octogenarian hey, with, a, with a Zimmer frame walking into the lion's den. He's an old guy. See, these extraordinary moments rest on extraordinary faithfulness. From the moment Daniel is barely 20 years old, arrives in Babylon, he's faithful. He's faithful to God. He's faithful over not assimilating and putting God first. That's the food test of Daniel chapter one. He's faithful. And then he's given more and more and more responsibility. Jesus said those who are faithful in the small things will be given more. Maybe that's a challenge for you today. Are you being faithful in the small things? More of what? Yes, more responsibility. But above all, more of God himself. That's the invitation. More experience of the glory of God being made manifest to you and through you in your life. That's that's what's available through this life that Daniel speaks and he reveals to us. Daniel's faithfulness is worth learning from because he has the answer to your restlessness. He's got peace. In this crisis, which he is the victim of, he's the only one with peace. And right now, in the coronavirus crisis, I think all of us are struggling to have peace. We're worried about what the future holds, the new normal. How are we going to have enough money? Is our job safe? What about these relationships? How am I going to relate to people having been kind of two metres away from them for so long? What's it going to be like? All of that uncertainty sort of eats away at our sense of peace. Daniel has peace, but no one else around him had peace. The evil satraps, these kind of senior administrators, civil servants that ganged up against him, I think because they were envious of Daniel's holiness, but also actually because they didn't like the way that he was disrupting their racketeering and their kind of exploitative ways, and now he's going to be in charge of them. Maybe there's anti-Semitism in there as well, some racism, because he's a Jew, which is ugly. All of that, I think, could well have been going on, but their peace ultimately resisted on positions, uh, position and possessions, and Daniel threatened to take all of that away. But that could be taken away by another Daniel coming, or by Darius deciding that they're fired. It was a false peace. So many people are chasing after a false peace in this world that will never satisfy them. King Darius here, who we think is most likely to be also King Cyrus, can't be certain about that. The final verse of this chapter suggests a strong clue. And Bible Geeks, you can go and do some research on the exact meaning there of the Aramaic. But regardless, King Darius is a man who lacks peace in this passage. He starts that way. He feels so angry and 
guilt-ridden about being duped into sentencing an innocent man to death. So much so that through the whole night he cannot sleep. Whereas I believe that Daniel in the lion's den, he sleeps like a baby. It reminds me of the true and better Daniel, Jesus Christ in this scene in one of the stories told in Jesus's biographies, Mark chapter four, and he's out there in a boat on the Sea of Galilee with all the, the disciples there and the winds are up and the storm is raging and the disciples are panicking. They think they're going to die. What's Jesus doing? He's asleep in the back of the boat. He's asleep because he knows who he is. He's the creator of all things and he can control the storm. But Daniel has that same sense of peace because he's in relationship with the creator of all things who can shut the lion's mouths. Wow. And this peace that he's had, that he's grown to experience more and more and more through his faithfulness, this peace is infectious. His non-anxious presence brings peace. This is what it does to King Darius. You see, twice he describes um, Daniel's faithfulness under fire, that he is um, bringing this, he's continuously, he serves continuously his God. There's a certain, yeah, you're faithful. And even in these circumstances, you're, you're faithful. And through his deliverance, Darius is able to see the one true God, the living God, that Daniel's God, he's the living God amongst all of these deaf, dumb, blind, mute idols that people are worshipping in, in Babylon and beyond. Oh God, he stands out. He's alive. He's the living God. And then he goes on, almost like recapitulating the story of Nebuchadnezzar. And then if anything, you've got Daniel chapters three and four kind of folded in on themselves. And then we have the same ending here, a declaration to the entire empire about the living God, describing attributes about him, which frankly are extraordinary for an unbeliever to ever say about God. He's the living God. And get this, verse 25, correctly translated, peace Peace be multiplied to you. He's like, the, he's like the Old Testament Paul again. This story, amazing. The grace of God transforming this, this pagan king. He doesn't deserve it, but God comes to reach him. And now he's declaring to the world peace. Like he's writing his own New Testament Pauline-like epistle. Grace and peace to you. You see, Daniel's peace, is, uh, Daniel's faithfulness, it's not just fascinating. It is fruitful and yours ours can be too that's why we must learn from him so here are three things we're going to learn from him firstly that he's faithful in character despite all the go negative american presidential campaign like looking for dirt on daniel they found zip zero nada nothing that is amazing it's a sign of the supernatural work of God in Daniel's life. How is that possible for someone to live so righteously? Well, it says in verse 4, because he was faithful. He was faithful even though he was serving a pagan empire, not his own people. He was faithful even though he knew there was this group of people who were out to get him. He was faithful even when they twisted his words against him. And he would have wanted to set the record straight to defend himself. No, Daniel stays faithful to God. What are you like when you're treated unfairly? Daniel was able to work with all his heart in horrible circumstances because he wasn't ultimately working 
for Babylon, he was working unto the Lord. And that helped him to be faithful. They didn't deserve it, but God's worthy of this quality of work. Are you working with real integrity of character? I had a friend once who, <laughs> he, he felt his conscience was pricked about just taking a paper clip from his employers. Now that may be extreme, but it's a moment to just examine your own heart. Are you being faithful in your work, whether that's paid work or unpaid volunteering work or work in the home, caring and raising kids? Are you giving all that you've got? Are you working with all your heart, not for just for them, but as unto the Lord, as service of God? Are you stealing time and energy? Are you giving it all the initiative and thoughtfulness that you could be doing? Are you doing it with real righteousness? This is important because as the people of God, we're called to be stand out different. That our character is to reveal God's character, his holiness and his righteousness and his love and his goodness and his justice. The outshining of his glory, that it might his glory might shine through you. This so matters. We're called to be stand out different, countercultural, not just to be absorbed into the ways of the world and to say, well, they're doing all of that. I tell you, no, no. If they're doing all of that, no, that's where we draw a line. We are the people of God. We are a set apart people, a holy people for God's glory. And this really matters because the Christian faith needs people disproportionately serving in positions of influence, in Politics, the civil service, the media, the arts, sport, all these areas. We need Christians in real places of influence and disproportionately there and disproportionately serving the poor. But for those who feel a calling to those positions of influence, I believe this may be a career word for you. The way that you get there and the way that you get influence when you're there, we learn from Daniel, is to be unbelievably faithful unbelievably trustworthy and therefore unbelievably good at your job. To be faithful in the small things, God will give you more. The second point is faithful in prayer. When Daniel gets bad news, he doesn't panic, he prays. If God is just teaching us one thing above everything else in this coronavirus crisis time, I believe it is the importance of prayer. I wonder, are you learning that lesson? Are we as a church really learning that lesson? E.M. Bounds, the great writer on prayer, has said that where there's a revival of real praying, a spiritual revolution will come. He said that of every revival that we know of on record, They've all been bathed, bathed in prayer. Church, we need to get serious about prayer. We really need to get praying. But we also need to recognise that prayer is a struggle. Do you know why it's a struggle? I want to give you just two reasons. The first of those reasons is that of our self-sufficiency. We think that we don't actually need as much help from God as we do. In the particular challenges or trials that we face quite often, or more, more importantly on this, the ordinary ongoing journey of becoming more like Jesus. It's pride. Pride. Instead of getting on our knees and praying, we start planning instead, like Darius does. 
all through the night trying to find a loophole in the law. That's what he's basically doing. We look at earthly solutions instead of seeking the wisdom that can only come from heaven through prayer. Now he might be thinking, hey, I'm just too busy to pray. But if Daniel, he's basically the prime minister of one of the biggest empire of the world, in the world, on and off doing that job, if he can make time to pray, then you can too. You know my wife, Holly, right now, she's so busy. She is working part-time, she's homeschooling the kids, she's supporting me in my work and ministry, and yet she's waking up in the middle of the night to pray and meet with God. God is helping her in that, he's sustaining her in that. He's giving her energy and strength for that. I tell you, right now there is a season in our lives, in our lives and walk with God, where he will supernaturally sustain you for extraordinary prayer. Are you taking advantage of this great opportunity God is giving us? The second reason why we struggle with prayer is because prayer is warfare. You have an enemy. His name is the devil, Satan, and he really, really, really wants to stop you from praying. Just look at what he inspires these evil satraps to go after. What is the thing that they want to stop Daniel from doing above all else, it's to stop him from praying. Just to destroy his prayer life. That's what they're going after. The next time that you get up to pray, you stop, you make time to pray, recognise that it's a struggle because it is a struggle. It's warfare. Name the reality and approach prayer in the right way. Put your armour on. Get your fighting talk out and start to really pray and overcome the schemes and strategies of the enemy. So how then does Daniel specifically pray? Five ways from verse 10. The first of those ways is that Daniel prays publicly with the windows open and high up so that everybody can see in Babylon. That that was his common practice. Now was the moment to change that, surely. But no, not for Daniel. Prayer was too precious, too important, too special. He wouldn't give up intimacy with God, the Father, his communion like that. No, that was too important. He would rather die than not pray. You live at a time where particularly the Western culture wants to squeeze your faith into the private sphere only. It's a Sunday thing. Don't bring it to work. It's just to compartmentalise it. That's okay for that part of your life, but not over here, right? All the more reason that we need to be private and public, especially because other Christians need your encouragement. See, this is what was happening for Daniel. There were other Jews, Jewish people out there in exile in Babylon and they were looking to Daniel to find courage. And if he can pray through this crisis, so can we in our crisis. There'll be secret believers. There'll be weak Christians, struggling Christians around you in your sphere of influence. And if you can be strong in faith, gosh, you can literally pour courage into their hearts through the way that you live. And there'll be non-Christians looking in. To see, is your faith real? Is it genuine? Have they got something that you haven't got? Because you've got the true God in their life. And they'll be looking in with, with hope, maybe secret, eager expectation to find the reality of faith. Wow. Do you know, 
There were just two extraordinary God moments in my career as a criminal barrister. I've only got time to tell you about just one of them now. But like many professions today in the United Kingdom, to share your face, faith would get you into a lot of trouble. If you get found out, of course. This was a time when I was at Bedford. I was at a criminal court and I was in the foyer area outside the kind of doors to the courts meeting with my client and his interpreter. And we were in a conference conversation and I'd said, thank you so much for telling the truth to my client because I'm a Christian and I believe in the truth. I believe the truth sets people free. Well, that allusion to Jesus's words from the scriptures left the interpreter in a completely happy sort of hissy fit. Now, when she calmed down, she explained that she'd met the client and walked with him all the way through the case from police station through preparation hearings now to the day of trial, which was where I was first time getting involved in this case. And she'd witnessed to him with others and he'd come to faith in God. He'd left this kind of sin behind him. He'd left being in the wrong crowd. And this case was a bit of a stitch up by some rogue people anyway. It was an amazing moment of God bringing us together. I took us away to a semi um, private room, which we could have been disturbed at any time, which really meant for lawyers being a bit cheeky. And we just got together and we prayed. And oh, it's like God's presence came as we said, God, your will be done in this case. We're not sure why you brought us together, but thank you. This is amazing what you're doing. And what happened? I tell you, not one single witness showed up to give evidence against my client that day. He was acquitted. It was amazing. Just gives me goosebumps to think about all that God arranged to reveal to that young Christian how much God loves him. Wow. If timid me can do that, then braver you can do so much more. Do the people that you live and work with know that you are a real Christian? Now, yes, you need to be wise, but we must not let ourselves be squeezed into being mostly private. Yes, okay, you might be thinking, Jesus taught us to pray in private, didn't he? Yes, he did. Matthew chapter 6, go and close the door and and in secret pray to your heavenly father. There's a place for that, of course, in the Christian life. But Jesus prayed publicly enough for his disciples to say, I want to pray in the way that Jesus prays. He's got such an intimacy with the father. It's so sweet, so beautiful. I want what he has in his prayer life. They asked him and Jesus taught them to pray. Our father, our, it's a corporate together, public form of prayer. Jesus prayed publicly at the feeding of the 5,000, at the raising of Lazarus, when he's being crucified on the cross. Father, forgive them. There's a place for both private and public prayer. That's the first way that Daniel prayed. The second way that he prayed was towards Jerusalem. He prayed to the epicentre up until that point of history where God had said all of restoration, revival would break out from. He's praying in hope of that, aligning himself with the promises of God. And particularly 1 Kings chapter 8, this prayer of King Solomon, prophetic prayer, that when the people of God would disobey him and go into exile, that they were to pray facing Jerusalem with hope 
of restoration, seeking God's deliverance, praying for him to maintain their cause. This is frankly amazing. Daniel's facing the lion's den, but he's not so much praying for his own deliverance. He's praying for his nation's deliverance. His selflessness is extraordinary. The third way Daniel prays is on his knees. Now, this is a practice that I think we've lost in our branch of Christianity, but it will be well worth recovering to reinforce physically what should be happening spiritually when we pray. That we're getting down before an awesome holy God and say, you're holy and I am not. You're great. You're glorious. I am not. I am weak. You are strong. I'm expressing my dependence, my need on you. Bowing down helps us to see the holy reverence of God, to rightly reverence him. The fourth way Daniel prays is three times a day. This isn't a unique practice to Daniel. It's referred to in Psalm 55. We think it could mean 9 a.m., 12 p.m. and 3 p.m. It tells me that prayer is so addictive that the more you pray, the more you should want to pray. And it challenges me to set my clock three times a day to start thinking about how can I make more time to pray? I need to pray. I want to pray. Maybe all that angst I feel inside myself is just because I'm not stopping to pray enough. Right now my alarm goes off at 5.45am. I've got one of these like vibration watch alarms. Um, so I try and get up before the kids. Uh, don't disturb my wife Holly. She's already been up in the night of course. I don't want to do that. And I try and get an hour with God in the morning. But I want more. I want, I'm greedy for more time with God. What about you? What regular times could you set aside to be with God and to pray? Fifth, final way that Daniel prays is that he gives thanks. This is just, wow. I, 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 would, I struggle with this. In that moment, I'm about to be eaten uh, we, we, we give thanks for the food we're about to receive. I don't think I'm comfortable giving thanks when I am going to be the food or become the food that's going to be received. But this is what Daniel is doing. He is rehearsing the faithfulness of God. He's praising and giving thanks to God in this moment. Thank you, God, for your faithfulness to Abraham. You gave him the miraculous son. We're all from his line. Abraham was way beyond childbearing age, yet you did that. Thank you, God, for your faithfulness to Joseph. He was in the prison. There was no hope, but you broke in and you raised him up into the palace to be second in command of of Pharaoh. And thank you, God, that I see that in my life, he's saying. Thank you, God, for the way that you... You gave us that great victory right at the beginning, the seed fast, the vegetable fast. We should have got weaker, but yet we were stronger than everybody else. Thank you, God, for your help interpreting those dreams. Thank you, God, for delivering my friends from the lion's den. Thank you, thank you, thank you, God, for your faithfulness. And the point is, when you start to get hold of God's faithfulness to you, You'll be able to live in his faithfulness and it'll enable you to live out of that faithfulness, to be faithful to him. That leads us to the third and final point. Faithfulness is fuel. You won't get far if you keep plodding in your own strength. You've got to live in God's faithfulness. And we are so privileged 
this side of Jesus coming to know the true and better Daniel, Jesus Christ and his incredible faithfulness. Really, Daniel's experience in the lion's den is like a foreshadowing of a greater faithfulness to God that is to come. Jesus is like Daniel. He has his envious, this time religious leaders who are ganging against him to have him killed. They take him to Pontius Pilate, who thinks Jesus is innocent, but still sentences him to death. And like Daniel, Jesus is thrown into a pit and a stone is rolled in front of it. He ends up in the grave, left for dead, and it's even sealed as well. But only one of them, only one of them actually dies to defeat death and is raised to life again. His name, of course, is Jesus. And Jesus dies here to this eternal law of sin and death in order to defeat it so that you can have life, so that you can have hope, so that you could know how much he loves you, that he was faithful with his dying breath to purchase your salvation and pay for your sins. Oh, he loves you that much. Oh, wow. Wow, will that give you strength to serve him. You see, no one can save themselves. No one could save Daniel. Not even powerful King Darius could do nothing about it. But God can. Only God can come and save you from sin, can save you from the pit of hell and destruction. God can do it and he wants to do it. And you can be confident that he will do that for you by faith in Jesus. That's what the cross and the resurrection tell us about, that God is faithful. He may not take you out of this pit of the challenging circumstances that you're in right now, but I tell you, like Daniel, one day he'll take you from the pit to the palace by faith in him. When you breathe your last, he'll take you from the pit of this sin-soaked world and put you in the palace of his paradise forever to be with him. You can be sure of it because of the extent that he goes to to keep his word, the costliness of the cross, to demonstrate he is faithful. He is faithful. Now the mouth of the prowling lion and all of Satan's there accusing accomplices, they are silenced, they're rendered silenced utterly by the cross, by your faith in Jesus, all that condemnation, all that attack, you're not good enough, you're rubbish, you're worthless, you're dirty, you're ugly, silenced through Jesus' victory on the cross for you. And he's declaring, you are loved by God. This is amazing. This is a hope that is in the future, yes, of looking forward to this great paradise that is coming. Yes, it's there. We look forward to the well-done, good and faithful servant that we will receive one day from the Father. That's wonderful. And it gives us strength to keep going one foot in front of another again and again and again. But it gets even better than that. It gets even better than that. God the Father, through the person of Jesus Christ, in the power of the Holy Spirit, comes alongside you to strengthen you, to be with you, to help you to run right now. He gets into the pit with you. That's what he surely did with Daniel. How could the lion of the tribe of Judah, Jesus, God himself, resist not going, the angel of the Lord not going to be present with Daniel in the lion's den and to show these lions, the kings of the jungle, who the real king of kings is. I believe that God was with Daniel in a wonderfully powerful way in that moment. That's why Daniel had so much peace. And you can too 
when you understand that God is with you. God is with you in trial and in difficulty, that he suffers with you. He said to Saul, doesn't he, why, why are you persecuting me? God, Jesus feels all the attack, all the persecution, all the criticism, him, him very self. He's intimate with your suffering. He's close, he's near to you and he'll help you through it. One of my favourite stories ever from the Olympic Games is the story of black hero Derek Redmond, British record holder for the 400 metres. And he's in the semi-final and he's setting off expecting to finish well, expecting to medal later in the final. Only a few kind of, uh, a bit of a way in, he suddenly hears a popping sound and then unbelievable pain. He realises his hamstrung, his hamstring has snapped. And he's in agony. He falls to the deck of the track. He can barely move, but he pulls himself up. He starts to hobble along for 50 metres or so. He can see people ahead of him now finishing the race and competing it. And then officials and, and medics start running towards him, telling stop, stop, stop. But he's, he's got so far, all that training, he doesn't want to give up. He wants to keep running. And then his father, his father comes. His father come breaking through. I tell you, no one could get in the way of his dad running to be with his son in that moment. He's pushing everybody away. And Derek says to his dad, Dad, I just want to finish the race. And his dad says, Okay, son, we started this together. We're going to finish it together. And he puts his arm around him. And he says to him all the way through to the finish line, You're a champion. You got nothing to prove, son. You're a champion. You got nothing to prove. What better picture of what God would say to you right now? To keep going. Don't give up. Put one foot in front of another and hear him whispering to you, You're a champion. You got nothing to prove. Jesus has done it all. Keep going. Be faithful. You can do it. I tell you, church, if we get hold of that, if we start to live out of the strength of God's presence to us, in his faithfulness to us, we can be faithful. And we'll be able to transform this world and many, many, many lives for the better, for his glory. Let me pray. Oh God, we thank you so much that you're so faithful, so faithful that you never, ever, ever give up on us, that you love us. You loved us to the point of death. Lord, and even in the most difficult trying moments, you're present with us, encouraging us to keep going. Help us to turn away from all unfaithfulness and desires to be flashy in the wrong sense and to seek to live boldly and courageously for you, that we might pour courage into unbelievers around us and provoke faith in those who don't yet know you, all for the glory of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening to Sermon Audio from Westminster Chapel. 
If you'd like to partner with us in making disciples and sharing the gospel, please consider making a one-off or regular donation. Visit westminsterchapel.org.uk forward slash giving to find out how.